With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. If it's smooth jazz, then the jazz queen is talking about it on Talking Smooth Jazz. Your place for all things smooth. Artist. Nicholas Cole. Vincent Ngala. Jonathan Fritzen. And news with the smoothest show on the internet radio. Your host, the Jazz Queen. And Mike Reynolds. Welcome to Talking Smooth Jazz, everyone. Mike, how are you? Hey, Terry. How's it going tonight? Doing great. Oh, it's, it's going. Say hello to Ken. Hey, Ken. What's going on? Hey, Mike. How you doing? Nice to hear your voice again. Yes, definitely nice to hear yours as well. <laughs> Thanks. Welcome Welcome to the chat room, Ms. Lori. If you would like to join us in the chat room, please go to TalkingSmoothJazz.com and click on Ken Navarro's picture, um, hit the beautiful cover of Ruby Lane. That will bring you into the chat room. The phone number is 646-716-5485, 646-716-5485. The last time Mike and I talked to Ken Navarro, um, he did a CD that was all guitar solos. It was a really nice CD as well, <laughs> too. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, the test of time. I know that. Yeah. Has it been two years? I guess it has been two years since we talked. Yeah, yeah. it's been a yeah, yeah. It has yeah. been, and now he is back with a brand new CD called Ruby Lane, and I love the cover with the glass of wine, of course. Um, a martini <laughs> right. glass would have been better, but the glass of wine is. <laughs> I know, I know. I've had, you're not the first person to say that. <laughs> Ruby Lane, I like that. Now, is that the name of a street or something near you? Well, I'll tell you where that came from, and it has to do with why I'm in New Orleans right now. Uh, Ruby is the uh, diamond, uh, is the jewel, excuse me, for the 40th wedding anniversary. Yes. And okay. my wife, Kristen, and I celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary late last year. And um, at that time, you know, I, uh, about six months before when I realized this landmark anniversary was approaching, I said, yeah, I, I need to write a song. I need to somehow say something with what I do best, which is music. And so that, that's how the song Ruby Lane came to be. And now we're in New Orleans. We, we really, our anniversary is we, got, we chose to get married in the dead of winter. Uh, at the very end of December, and whenever that rolls around, it's never a very good time to go away for us because our kids are home for the holidays, and and then we both go right back to work in January. So this is our delayed in, uh, celebration of our 40th anniversary to come to New Orleans. But yeah, that's where Ruby Lane came from. Ruby because it was the the uh, the jewel for the 40th anniversary, and then Lane just had a ring to it that mm-hmm. it sounded very um, romantic to me, and it sounded very um, I don't know, it just struck up an image of, of a place, you know, and I like to think that that Ruby Lane signifies that, you know, that road that, that Kristen and I have been on these last 40 years and then some uh, together and, and, uh, and then hence it just seemed like the right title for the whole, for the whole album. 40 years. Congratulations on that. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. You know, it's funny. I, when, when I introduce this song at a show now and I, or say that it's like I feel guilty almost. It's like pushing a button for the audience. The minute you say, "I've been married four years," it's like pushing an applause button. You know, yeah. everybody feels like they have to have to clap. But it, it is it is really uh, um, something that I'm I'm really happy about. I'm proud of it, but more than that, I'm I'm just happy about it. It's been it's been great, and we're we're still going strong. Mm-mm-mm. That is wonderful. That is absolutely wonderful. Okay. I mean, you, you know, a lot of people don't make it that long, so that's I great. know. I, people, a lot of people in my family haven't made it that long, <laughs> so I, I understand. 
Wow. All right. So Ruby Lane, um, as I said, is Ken's brand new CD. Uh, give us some um, background on this. Sure. It was just released worldwide today, so this was a great day for, for us to set up this, this uh, interview. Um, it, it, uh, it, by the way, it had an incredible first day. Um, it, it was up to number two at Amazon last I checked, and uh, it's flying up the, the iTunes chart. It's, it's probably off to the best start of any CD I've ever, or album, I guess I should say, that I've released. So that's been great. And, and a lot of that has to do with all the social media and being able to get the word out there now, and, and then those people get the word out and so on. But the album, I started working on the album, boy, I guess it was um, around February of 2013. And it started... I really didn't know what I was going to do next, to be honest. I I had done the test of time, as you alluded to, the solo guitar record, where I played all the parts, bass, chords, melodies, even Mm -hmm. rhythm stuff, all all at once. And then the previous two albums, Dreaming of Trains and Grace of Summer Light, had been these long-form compositions, uh, I guess reminiscent of like the Pat Metheny group, things like that. And so when it came time to start working on the next record, I just wasn't sure. Was I going to go off in a new direction? Was I going to take one of those directions and and go farther with it? And in the end, I decided to try to find a way to put all of that together, plus the smooth jazz songs that I really love and have, you know, gotten good at writing. But I hadn't written one probably in seven or eight years, and so it started by me writing "Ruby Lane," the song that I wrote for my wife, and then it went from there. And it's really. A lot of variety, a lot of innovation, I think, on, on the CD. Some people would say it's not all smooth jazz, but I think of contemporary jazz, smooth jazz, as the new direction in jazz, and so to me, it all sounds like jazz. It's all coming from an improvisational, uh, melodic place. Uh, but, yeah, I finally finished it uh, near the end of January this year, and uh, so it was, it was quite a, almost a year in the making. Okay, and you also did a, um, you also chronicled the making of Ruby Lane, and uh, you have like an eight-part podcast series for this. Well, it was supposed to be eight. <laughs> I got through, I, I did five parts. Um, okay. It, it, by the time I finished the fourth one, I, I was so involved in trying to finish the record, and I had a pretty heavy concert tour going on at that point, too. So I just, these podcasts, they're, they're sort of like a whole other creative endeavor. So I did get through four of them where I where I explained everything from how I mix a song to how I write demos for each of the songs before I actually record them, uh, all kinds of things like that. And then the fifth podcast, which I just published uh, last Friday, is an, I narrate you through the whole record um, and and give you you know stories and insights and my inspirations for each of the songs. So yeah, the podcasts are kind of cool because they give they give me a whole other outlet to sort of do the one thing I can't do with my music, and that's have lyrics. You know, I can't say anything about it, but the podcast give me a way to actually, you know, let people in on on what I'm thinking. You know, uh, so yeah, that that series is on iTunes and on my website, and you know, it's another thing that I've used social media to to spread around as much as I can. Mm, okay. So um, I have a couple of questions for you from Steve Simpson, who lives in London. Um, He sent me a couple of questions, so I'll give you the first one. Um, He says, I am not very familiar with his back catalog. Where would he suggest I start listening? Wow, that's a good question, and it's a tough one for me because uh, this is my 21st album. Uh, Ruby Lane is my 21st, and um, gosh, uh, you know, it all depends on the kind of things that people really like. For the stuff that's straight-up smooth jazz, uh, my biggest records were Love Colored Soul from 2005, which went to number one. Another record from, uh, excuse me, 1997, Smooth Sensation, has been really popular. But then, you know, in 2007 uh, or 2006, I did an album called The Meeting Place where I started to turn a corner into into a broader uh, m- broader musical possibilities, and I did an album called The Grace of Summer Light, which I think is definitely one of my best albums. Uh, then followed that up with Dreaming of Trains, and then you know The Test of Time is a whole different kind of thing, but it's 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 still me. So hopefully those those 
albums, Smooth Sensation, Love Colored Soul, Grace of Summer Light, Dreaming of Trains, that those give, give Stephen a, a, a place to start and listen to some samples and, and decide for himself. All right. All right, there you go, Steve. Um, he didn't send me some more, and I'll, I'll ask you those in a few minutes. Um, okay. Tell me about this, this uh, the choir that's on the 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 celestial sounds of the it, Shine Bar. Oh, the Shine. That's a string quartet. Uh, yeah, okay. the Shine Bar string quartet. Um, yeah, I I started before I did the Test of Time record. I actually started to consider writing a piece that could be for my guitars and a string quartet. And in the process, I spent two or three months just studying string quartets and, you know, trying to teach myself how to write for a string quartet. And I filled up a notebook probably six inches thick with with my study notes. Uh, but then I started to get into the idea of doing a solo guitar record. And then I just kind of put that notebook away. And when it came time to start writing uh, the music for Ruby Lane, It occurred to me, hey, I never followed through on that. And so I wrote a song called um, When the Spirit Speaks. And it's a piece for string quartet, which is two violins, a viola and a cello, and then my guitars. Uh, There's three three different uh, guitars with it. And and it really takes you on a journey. And it, it doesn't really sound classical. It really does sound like contemporary jazz, although I think it mostly sounds like me. Uh, but, uh, the, yeah, the Shine Bar String Quartet is a, a string quartet that all live very close to me in the Baltimore area. And um, so, you know, it just was very convenient to work with them. All right. Well, uh, since you meant, mentioned the song, When the Spirit Speaks, I'm going to start with that first. Again, okay. we are talking to guitarist Ken Navarro. His new CD is called Ruby Lane. It, it was released today, and you can find that on his website, kennavarro.com. And this is called When the Spirit Speaks.
That is called oh, When thanks, the Spirit Jerry. Speaks. Yes. Very nice. Now, you were working with the, the, the string quartet on that. How Were you guys in a studio, or was this sort of like the Internet thing where you were sending music back and forth? No, it was all done um, in my studio, and um, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in being there when it happens, whether I'm recording a drummer or keyboards or whatever it is. And it was the same with the string quartet. You know, I, I, I really wanted a hands-on feeling when I was doing it. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, they, the, the strings played the music, but I wrote every note, and I really knew how I wanted it to sound. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, if I could have played violin, viola, and cello, I would have. <laughs> but those are very special skills, and, and um, you know, it... it uh, uh, I mean, it's an interesting piece, and it's really cool that you'd start with that. It's 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 very different than most of the other things on the record, but but by the same token, you know, it's what for me music and 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 why I, I pursue jazz-oriented music is all about. You know, it's just about always trying to move the ball down the field and take it to the next place for yourself. You know, whatever whatever that is. So it's it's very cool that you started with that. And yeah. how many takes so did nice. that? How many takes did it take you guys to, to to do that song? Well, you know, there were plenty of rehearsals to get it together, uh, and that probably that version. I you know I forget sometimes because I get so involved in the in the process from beginning to end. Probably that that probably represents. Um, three takes that were put together, you know what I mean, where, because yeah. it's a long piece that goes through a lot of changes, and, yeah. and including temp- tempo and keys and everything else, and uh, so, you know, I always believe in getting a performance, but I always have try to have two or three or more performances, which I can then, with because with digital recording now, it's so great this way, I can then say, oh, they, the first part they played so good in the second take, but I love how they played the fast part in the third take. You know what I mean? That kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't even remember anymore what was what. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I, it basically represented a lot of work leading up to being able to record it, you know, in the first place. So. Oh, I would I love to see you perform. <laughs> yes, I would love to see you perform that live with them. That would be nice. <laughs> I would yeah. too. That's that's yeah. that's you know one of the challenges of making a record like this, where you do so many different kinds of things, is uh, it's hard to figure out how to possibly present it all live. I'll probably do some mm-hmm. kind of a CD release concert where I you know can do some things, one time things, and one of them that I would aspire to do would be to have the string quartet there with me, you know, to play to play when the spirit speaks live. Right, sure. right. Okay. All no, right. I'm, I'm sorry, sorry Mike. Go ahead. ahead. No, I'm just going to ask Ken. I know that uh, you know using the string quartet quartet and the different uh, you know string arrangements for these songs that you've done. Uh, well, just I, that one, him, I don't want to mislead anybody. It's just that one song, that one piece. Yeah. Well, you know, but I know that you used uh, what's it, Jesse Cloak? Is it Jesse? Oh, yeah, Jesse for on, on, ac- on acoustic. Yeah, exactly right. On, on for the first violin, yes. Right now, how did you find these musicians like uh, Jeff mm-hmm. and uh, what is it, Evan Roykin and and Roy Kim? How did you find these guys, or or were they your first option when you were going to this project? Well, there's a lot of, as far as the string quartet, there's a lot of uh, really great string players in the Baltimore, D.C. area. You know, it's funny. I mean, Vegas, you know, I know where Terry is. It's the same thing. I remember going and playing in Vegas with Nell Carter. Remember Nell Carter? Great singer, actress. Um, Yes. And she would always hire string players from Vegas. And, And, man, these were some of the best string players 
I'd, I'd ever heard, and I think, and I was living in L.A. at the time. But Baltimore and D.C., no slouches in musician departments either, and uh, and so that's you know um, that's where I found found them. Uh, as far as the other musicians, I played all the guitars and all the piano and keyboards on this record. I, I'd never done all the keyboards and acoustic piano parts before. But uh, piano was actually my first instrument when I was five years old. I did that for six years before I discovered the guitar. So it's always been kind of back there. But, you know, it's hard to play one instrument really well. And so I've always used, you know, um, what I call real keyboard players on my albums. But, but on this one, I, I did all the parts. And as far as the bass and drums, um, you know, those, those players um, also live very close to home for me. And uh, even though um, I'd never recorded with either of them before, I've known both of them a long, long time. And uh, and so it, w- it came very easy to work with them as, as well, especially since they were, outside of the string quartet, they were the only other two musicians on the album. Now, Ken, not being a musician, walk me through how you play all of the instruments on a song. I mean, what instrument do you play right. first? And then do you right. record they're, they're that? Very good questions. Yeah. By the way, these I don't delve into these solely in the podcast, but these are the kinds of things that I talk about in the podcast because they're they're things that you'd be surprised. Very few interviewers ask me a question like that, and I think it's a great question. But it's something people want to know about, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, it, it starts when I'm in the writing stage. I do these very elaborate demos. Uh, they've gotten so elaborate that when I was doing the, that when I was doing the Grace of Summerlight and Dreaming of Trains, when I gave the demos to the musicians, and these were some great musicians, they said, "Why are you hiring me? <laughs> these demos are unfinished." <laughs> and, and of course, they real musicians bring something to your parts that, mm-hmm. if nothing else, they just bring their own individuality to them. You know, again, what makes it jazz. Um, but um, so what happens is I do these demos where I, I basically play all the parts, uh, and um, uh, you know, it, so you know that's as far as how they're recorded. The demos, you know, are me stacking stuff basically through the use of multi-tracking with recording. Then when it comes time to actually record the, the album. I usually keep all of my demo guitar parts because when I'm recording other musicians, I don't want to try to play at the same time. I'm, I'm producing then, and what producing means is I'm overseeing that, that everything, those players are playing the parts that are the best parts for the music and the best parts that I can, as a producer, get out of them. A producer is sort of half, half director and half coach. You know what I mean? Like somebody who's trying to also coax great performances out of players. And if I'm trying to play at the same time, then I'm trying to coax a great performance out of myself, you know. So okay. I use my demo parts and the musicians, there's like what's called a click track, which is something that the listener doesn't hear, but the, the musicians hear a, the tick, 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 you know, in oh, their yes. headphones. Mm-hmm. So they're mm-hmm. synced up. Then when all the musicians are done with their parts, then I go back and I spend a few weeks um, either fixing guitar parts that were good but not as good as they could have been, sometimes completely replaying um, Mm. the guitar parts. Because sometimes what the drummer and the bass player in particular do, it it goes with what you played, but maybe the feel is even better. And then I go, Mm -hmm. God, I want to play to that. You know what I'm saying? Instead Mm -hmm. of my old parts, I want to play to this great drum and bass track. You know, And then sometimes the drummer and the bass player are so good at working with my original guitar part, that the guitar part that I thought was okay but not great, it suddenly sounds great, you know. So um, it's it's I I hope that's a clear enough answer. It's a little complicated because you can imagine every song kind of co- calls for different strategies. But that's that's my basic formula for how I go about that, the recording process. Okay, so then when you did the test of time, it was the the mm-hmm. solo guitar project. It was just you and nobody else. So was that? And I'm no sure over and no overdubs. You know? Right. So, that's, so if I'm like, and on this new album, I do a solo guitar version of Stevie Wonder's Higher Ground, and mm. um, that's me playing all the parts on one guitar in one take. So his bass line, his clavinet, the melody, the chords, 
um, you know, the, the solo guitar thing is me having to find a way to do it all <laughs> on six yeah. strings with two hands, you know. Sure, sure. Wow. I tell you, you musicians, you guys are, you do magic. Basically, well, what you it, do is magic. It's funny. I mean, I always feel like the listener shouldn't have to know, you know, what goes into it, the technique of it and the practice and all that. But at the same time, I found that, you know, listeners of, of contemporary jazz, they, they, they're not your typical music listeners. They, they want to know more and they, they you know, they want to appreciate the, the, uh, the, the under the surface stuff or I guess <laughs> under yeah. the hood, you know, yeah, uh, things yeah. that go on. I think that's why I think that uh, when 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 you guys do stuff like behind the scenes videos and and mm-hmm. podcasts explaining you know what you do and how you produce the music we love that we like seeing that behind the scenes stuff. Uh, and I, I know that I'm interested in, in it as well with musicians that I whose work I really enjoy um, yeah. and part of it is because you know I'm comparing notes but also you know you just want to get that inside feeling of what 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 went on and and. Uh, and sometimes it's interesting to hear, you know, the false, them talk about the false starts, you know, because you assume yeah. that, you know, uh, everything just sort of flows. Uh, right. And I should know, I should know better. <laughs> but I assume that too, you know, I hear a great piece of music and I just figure, wow, they're so good, they just do that. And then you hear later, well, it took me, you know, four weeks to, to, to figure out how I wanted to play that guitar part or whatever. So mm. everybody's everybody's human, and I think that's part of the appeal, too. Yeah, okay. All right, I have a couple of questions from the chat room. Ollie J. would sure. like to know, which do you enjoy most making, the CD or going on the road playing? Well, you know, they're so different. Uh, it's very hard for me to pick because when you're playing live, there's, you know, you're getting nothing but immediate feedback, and there's an adrenaline where it's like I have an out-of-body experience whenever I perform. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I can't really explain it. It's just I, I, I have to go to this other place. You know, it's really a spiritual thing to me. But on the other hand, recording is where it all comes together for me. Is not just as a guitarist, but as a composer. Uh, and as a producer, and so I guess if I had to pick, I would say that the recording is where I get the most satisfaction. It's it's sort of like I'm a painter, you know, with a big canvas, and I get to do it until I'm just certain that it's right. And okay. uh, whereas with the live thing, it's this incredibly intense experience, you know, squeezed into a, a, a an hour or an hour and a half. But you have to let it go. You have to, I always call, say you have to be always at the front of the train. You can't be thinking, oh, I wish I hadn't played that note, because there's a whole bunch of more notes coming now. You know what I mean? And so, um, you know, that, that's very exciting and a different, a different uh, uh, relationship to the audience. But it can't be about perfection, because, you, you know, you, you'd be censoring yourself half the time. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whereas when I'm making a CD, it can be about what I, at least what I think is, is perfection or as close as I can get to it. Okay. Um, Ollie, Ollie would also like to know, how long did you work on this CD from start to finish? Well, I, I think it was, um, I started in the middle of February 2013 and finished right about the last day of January. So, almost a, a full year. Now, I was also playing concerts and I run my own record company, so you know I've, I've got I've got stuff I do every day that has to do with the business part of it. But yeah, mo- most of, of of that year was was spent working on first writing the music, <laughs> excuse me, then demoing it, and then finally doing the recording. Okay, there you go, Ollie. Thank you for your questions. All right, the next song: Can I Make It Last <laughs> or Will It Just Be Over? Tell me about oh, this. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, that's a. Um, that's a song I did not write. Uh, one of the one of the two on the album I mentioned, Higher Ground Two. Uh, this was an old song uh, that was played by Boz Skaggs, uh, but it was something he wrote and recorded well before he got so famous. It was on one of his first records, I think, his second album. And I always loved this song. I've been listening to it for almost forty years, and uh, it was uh, also a song that was really close to my heart to do with my wife and she loved the song too so we've both been listening to it for the whole term of our marriage so somehow 
I thought if I can come up with a way to do a cover of this that modernizes it and also mm-hmm. makes it sound like a, a Ken Navarro song, what a cool way that would be to start this album. And so that's what I did. All right, here it is. Thank you. 
Can I Make It Last or Will It Just Be Over? That is from Ken Navarro's new CD, Ruby Lane. You can find that on his website, kennavarro.com. And you can call in right now and speak to Ken at 646-716-5485. And Ken, Lori wanted me to tell you thank you for the remake of Message in a Bottle by the Police. It is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, that's from the test of time. Yeah, that's that's a cool. That, I've always loved that song. It's just one of those those sting songs that lends itself somehow to playing it on solo guitar. That's cool. Yeah, this, I have a nice video of that where I play it live up on YouTube. Oh, cool, cool. Okay, another question from Steve in London. Um, mm-hmm. I do like his tracks. Smooth sensation. You did it again in the sky today. You are everything, and the new Ruby Lane is nice too. Anything in that style is fine with me. Who are your influences and current favorite guitarists? Well, I, you know, I listen to so many different people. Some old, uh, some who've been passed many years ago, and some who are very much still around. Probably my three biggest influences on guitar in terms of jazz anyway because I, I love all kinds of rock and, and R&B players too uh, but probably my biggest influences are Pat Metheny um, who I've just been listening to since I was 20 years old and he and I are the same age and very similar influences uh, I still listen to Wes Montgomery um, mm-hmm. who must have passed like gosh I mean we're talking I don't know how many years ago now 50 uh, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's timeless stuff, you know, um, and I, I think the thing that keeps me listening to Wes is besides his totally unique sound, uh, and totally unique technique, you know, he played with his thumb and only his thumb, uh, yet you'd never know it because he, he was such a master of it, but he's so melodic and it's hard sometimes to tell his improvisations from his written melodies because they're all just singable. You can, you can sing everything he does. So, I just keep coming back to it, you know. And then finally, um, George Benson, who um, Mm -hmm. I got into, well, again, well before he became so famous with this masquerade and and all that. I've been listening to him for a long time because he was just such a consummate, not just jazz guitarist, but guitarist, period. And uh, I still think everything he does is so relevant and just so in the pocket. So, you know, from a jazz perspective, those are the three three people I probably have, have, have spent the most time listening to and, and therefore being influenced by. Okay. And his last question, who would you like to duet with on record or on stage? Wow. Whew. Well, <laughs> two of those people, absolutely, Matheny and George Benson, uh, be great. There's also... Some really wonderful saxophonists who I really love. Kirk Whalem is one of my all-time favorite players uh, in a contemporary jazz style. And, and though I've never had a chance to play with Kirk, I've, I've gotten to know him a little bit over the years, and our paths have crossed at festivals and stuff. But I suppose that that would be that would be the sax player that I would love to play with. And of course, there's nobody around who wouldn't want to play with David Sanborn at some point too. And, mm-hmm. and I've opened for mm-hmm. him several times, but never had the chance to to play with them so it's it's not too late maybe one of these days yeah maybe all right all right i'm going to play another song ken i'm going to let you pick it well why don't we hear the title track uh ruby lane that's the one that's doing really well at radio right now and this is one steve i think will really like too all right here we go ruby lane
Ollie in the chat room said, walking on the beach with a glass of wine. Nice. Hence <laughs> <laughs> the cover. <laughs> that was the title track from Ruby Lane. Ah, that was nice. That was nice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wanted to ask you as well, Ken, uh, you actually dedicated a song to Coretta Scott King on this uh, uh, I'm sorry. Who did, who did, I'm sorry. Say that again. I didn't quite hear Mike. No, I'm sorry. You you dedicated a song to Coretta Scott King on this oh, album? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that was one. I, I mean, I don't know how many more songs you want to play, but that was one I was going to suggest. Um, yeah, you know, that came out of that song. There's kind of two parts to that story. The first part was that sometime like in 2012, I happened upon a biography uh, about Ethel Kennedy, Robert Kennedy's wife. And I didn't realize that she and Robert Kennedy had had nine kids and, mm. and that basically he died so young that she, she raised those nine kids pretty much by herself. And then mm-hmm. I started thinking about Coretta Scott King and how she basically raised four children all by herself. And I just wanted to try to write a song that commemorated what those two women did in that generation. And then in general, what single moms and for that matter, single dads or single grandmothers or single grandfathers do, because having raised two kids myself with, with a, um, a, a, a partner, I know how hard it is to do it right. And so to do it by yourself um, is, a, is an incredible accomplishment and to do such a good job. So that's the first part of the story. The second part of the story is I was still doing a lot of solo guitar concerts at that time, and I wanted to find a way to elaborate and expand on what solo guitar could be. So I bought this tool called a boomerang, and what, in, in a nutshell, the boomerang allowed me to do was stack parts on top of each other so I could play as many as 10 or 11 solo guitar parts all at once and it allowed me to do it live in concert and so I started playing um, this song that I didn't really have a title for for the longest time I called it Coretta and Ethel and things like that Um, but I would play it live and it was the same thing as if an artist had a big blank canvas in front of a live audience and made a painting up on the spot that's what the boomerang allowed me to do. And so I developed the piece over the course of a year of playing it live. And then I went and recorded what, you know, what had happened, you know, how I figured out the best way to play that piece over the course of a year, which, by the way, is the opposite of how it usually works for musicians these days. Usually they write something and record it, and then they go out and play it live. This was the opposite, which I think is mm-hmm. a much better way to work. Um, and so then I recorded it, and it just dawned on me when I was recording it. I know the title, Kings and Queens. It just mm-hmm. seemed perfect, you know. And uh, and so that 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 that's what where that song came from. Both you know the inspiration and also the musical uh, technique to to accomplish it. Okay. Well, I will close with that song. It is seven minutes long, so I will close with that. But mm-hmm. I wanted to thank you for giving us another opportunity to speak with you, Ken. It's my pleasure, Terry. It's always fun. I, I've enjoyed every time. And you too, Mike. And thanks for these great questions. Both of you ask questions that I haven't, I've done a lot of interviews for this record. And most of the questions I've never been asked. So that's really great. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Well, we do thank our studying. We, we, we do well, our studying. Well, you do. And you're, 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 you're obviously music, music driven, you know, and that's great. I really appreciate that too. So let everyone know where they can pick up the CD. Well, it's available, you know, as you were saying, on my website. And what's kind of cool there is, at least with the CD, if you buy it at my website, I'll sign it to you. And it might even be me who hand addresses the envelope, too. Yeah. Uh, but it's available at Amazon. Uh, it's available at iTunes. It's available at many, many online uh, stores, as well as many, uh, what's left of them, many, many retail, yeah. uh, you know, what we call brick-and-mortar stores. They're harder and harder to find. But we have national uh, distribution, and so it's in all those stores as well uh so uh um you know i hope people we've had like i was saying at the top of the interview we've, we've had an incredible first day uh and uh i hope people keep supporting what i'm doing it, it it's it's really gratifying and of course humbling to to know that people are all over the world are checking this music out today you know and so much fun to do this interview on this day too 
Oh, cool, cool. All right, be sure to follow Ken on Facebook and on Twitter at Ken underscore Navarro. All right, thanks to Lori and Ollie J um, for hanging out, hanging out in the chat room. Thank you, Ollie, for your questions. Thank you, Steve and England, for your questions as well. And um, uh, definitely pick up the CD. It's called Ruby Lane. All right, you've been listening to Talking Smooth Jazz with your host, the Jazz Queen. And Mike Reynolds. And we look forward to talking smooth jazz with you again next time. This is Kings and Queens from the Ruby Lane CD. Thank you again, Ken. Thank you, you guys. Have a great night. You too. Good night. Night.
thank you for listening to Talking Smooth Jazz. Please visit our websites, TalkingSmoothJazz.com and Mastermind-Entertainment.com. Join our Facebook fan and group pages and follow us on Twitter at Jazz underscore Queen and The Daily Grind. That's T-H-A Daily Grind. Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.